everybody, to another episode of Roll for Persuasion, your show where I chat with creatives and entertainers and just generally cool people about uh, storytelling and the nerdy things they love and what got them from point A to point B to whatever points they're heading to. I'm always excited to have really fantastic guests on this show. Very grateful to get to talk to some truly fantastic people. I have one of those people with me and we'll get to him in just a moment because you know that first, of course, I have to, um, not just because I'm contractually obligated, but because I love them. I have to shout out Hero Forge, a fantastic sponsor of the show for a long time now. Really great platform for making custom miniatures. Uh, it, it, literally anything of your dreams. I feel like every week I have new content I can talk about because literally every week they drop new things that you can do on their platform. And if you've used Hero Forge as long as I have, which is uh, you know back in the 2015 days when it would crash your browser trying to make one mini, to just the insane plethora of things that you can do now from digitally painting and printing your mini in color to posing. You can put two people on a miniature now. So if you have you know a buddy, you, it's no longer just an animal, put another character on your mini. Why not? You can do whatever you want. It's crazy what you can do at Hero Forge. Please check them out, heroforge.com. They are fantastic. We appreciate their support of the show and we appreciate them enabling the awesome creative minis that we love to make. So thank you, Hero Forge. Follow them at Hero Forge Minis on the socials. And as I said, we have a fantastic person here with us. We have a fantastic person each and every week. Uh, I'm especially excited about our guest today because I'm not just a uh, admirer of his work. Um, I'm lucky enough to get to chat with him about it for a while. So I'm very excited to welcome in Brennan Lee Mulligan. What's going on, dude? My man, thank you so much for having me on the show. A delight uh, to be here in such, as you were saying, esteemed company. Uh, uh, you have had so many. Uh, I, I was looking through. Uh, the show roster, and it was just little gasp after little gasp of, oh, that person's great, oh, that person's great, and that person's great. Uh, a lot of great people on the pod. Well, thank you. It's You know what? It's been it's been an interesting thing, the whole naming of the show, which is a little on the nose, but it was like, I don't know anybody in gaming or tabletop or entertainment or movies or whatever, uh, and it's going to take a high persuasion role to get these people on the show. But what I found is you get one, then the next person goes, I know that person. And then, you know, and then somehow we end up here and we're chatting and it's going to be a lovely time. How about it? They teach you, I hear, because I could not uh, afford the entrance fee, but they teach you an interview school um, that you should ask direct yet open-ended questions kind of lead the conversation and, and you know help shape the narrative that you're going with but i'm gonna throw that out the window because i just really want to know how does somebody get from uh growing up homeschooled to who wants to be a millionaire to applebee's commercials to college humor to uh, one of the most popular and successful tabletop franchise are you a franchise i don't even know what to say anymore with dimension 20 theoretically we're an anthology show i like there to think of us as show. The show feels the most straightforward it's a yeah. show it's on a platform boy th listen the the circuitousness of the route is certainly not lost on me either boy that applebee's commercial that was a rough day the that was a really rough day we were shot in Times square and i had to literally sprint across so bad with like big trays of these like weird ice cold varnished onion rings, because uh, you know it's all food prep, so it's all they're all made to look right. tasty, but they're not really tasty. They they're covered in plastic and chemicals and stuff. Boy, that was a crazy day. And then kept making the improvised stuff. And at one point, I forget in that Applebee's commercial, I was supposed to come in like we're here in Times Square talking to real people and what they want to eat, and they think they're gonna get a five star. And I just did it, so, and they kept being like, okay, do a little different this time, do a little different this time. And I came out in one of the takes and went, we're here in the beating heart of the capitalist West, trying to get some corporate food down the gullets of these unsuspecting strangers. And they were like, that, don't, don't do that again. And I was like, 
Thank, I'm so sorry. Please give me my $300 or whatever, whatever new media rate there was for that day. Right. Yeah, it was uh, a wild coming up from homeschooling, going through. It, it's so bizarre. The, the, like, I think what's so weird looking back on everything and like how we got to Dimension 20 from from these other places. I think the, the weird thing about it is that I was anticipating life being more circuitous. And it actually wasn't in this case. That's the weird thing, right? Like, I'm here in my 30s playing my favorite game that I was playing when I was 10. And when you're a 10-year-old, you have like, I wish, I hope I play D&D every day for the rest of my life. And some monkey's paw somewhere, you know, popped off and made that happen. So it's sort of, so, sort of bizarre. It's like... It, it is a true blessing and a weird, it just, it just profound good fortune uh, to be able to do this uh, professionally. It's crazy. That's fantastic. And I, and I think it, that's almost a common thread. I feel like with many people I talk to, whether in tabletop or acting or performing, um, just the unexpected turns that get you to where you are going and looking back and going, <laughs> I, I had no idea that, I would actually, this thing I said when I was 10, I would love to do this forever. Actually getting to do that. Um, it's kind of mind blowing. And of course there are things that you do to set yourself up for success and be able to take advantage of the opportunities that come to you. And, you know, many of us uh, are, are born with various amounts of privilege that help get us to where they are. But, um, there is that common thread of like a passion or a thing you love, you know, coming back around and being a thing that you are able to do later in life that maybe you didn't think was going to be a career option. Right. Right. Well, who could have predicted, Right. Prior to the Adventure Zone, prior to Critical Role, it was so obvious that there was no space within media for this to be a storytelling format that would that you could profit off of, right? Um, that it would be enough to sustain doing it at a pace and frequency to actually make it a show that people would enjoy supporting. Yeah, it's it's just it's just cartoonish. I remember there was this one weird foreshadowing moment a couple years prior to starting Dimension. So like I was aware of Critical Role. I was aware of the Adventure Zone, right? I was watching them. I was consuming them. I was like, oh, these are great, but not that's, not, that's never going to happen for me. Uh, and I was running a game in my old apartment um, where I was living with my roommate prior to moving in with my fiance. So this was, you know, 2016, I want to say, something like that. And I'm playing with my friends. We're all in this living room. And my roommate and his two friends come home. And they're not D&D people. But they okay. know that we're playing the whole weekend. And so, you know, we're, we're in the living room going at it. And these guys come in with a big bunch of food, right? So they, they kind of have to sit at the table that's, like, adjacent to the living room couch area where we are. And it's like, hey, we're all friendly, so it's fine. They start eating their dinner while we're playing. There's a momentary awkwardness of, like, oh, no, strangers are going to watch us pretend. Um, but... As it goes along, they, the people eating dinner, my roommate and his two friends, sort of quiet down and start really looking at us as we're playing. They sort of eat the food, and then they sort of like turn their chairs to face us as we're playing. And then we continue going, and then they sort of finish their meal, and they stay there for a while. And then one of them comes over in like a little, we take like a little bathroom break, and one of them, who's not even my roommate, this person that's like I've never really met before, comes over and is like, 
is it okay if I just like get a blanket and some pillows and just chill out in the corner? I promise I won't bug you guys at all. I just want to watch. I just want to watch. I just want to watch. And the, the, I was like, are you sure? You know, in my head, I was like, oh, are you sure? Like, this is just our little game we're doing. And, yeah. and the guy was like, so do, like, do you guys know what's going to happen? And I was like, no, no, we're, we're rolling. We're finding out. And he's like, so you're, so you're making this up. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we are. It's sort of, sort of, you know, there's some stuff that, that there are certain things that are, you know, structurally in place beforehand, but yes, it's being discovered in the moment. And he was like, I, I, I don't know how to say this. I have to see how it ends. Like, I can't, I'm invested. I've only been listening for 30 minutes. I have to, I have to know what happens. Um, and that was such a weird, and then like, you know, less than a year later, I was like making Dimension 20. And it was this weird moment of me being like, seeing up close, like, oh, there is something about this medium that does work. It, it is captivating. You can't like, even for all the people that are like, you know, what, two hour episodes or whatever, like even for all those people, there is just, there is a group of people that is larger than anyone could have anticipated that sees this format of storytelling and goes, I can't look away. I'm totally captivated by what I'm seeing. What did that pitch kind of look like? Like when did that start becoming an idea of like, hey, let's formulate a show. We wanted to have this this sort of format. Um, we want to play with this style versus your critical role or, or your whatever. Um, how did that kind of coalesce? It was crazy. We, we had a, I had just been hired at College Humor full time. I had applied to work there, didn't get the job, and ended up coming in part time as the question writer for I'm Actually. So I was writing nerdy questions for I'm Actually. So at that point, I was playing a home game with Brian Murphy, Emily Axford, Javon Thompson, Zach Oyama. I was playing in another home game with Lou Wilson and a bunch of Lou's friends. And I had met Matt Mercer and like Amy Vorpal and a bunch of other people that would be like an early side quest as a question writer from actually. Uh, so like I, meeting people, but so I, they were saying like, we need more long form content for dropout. Like we need more longer form stuff for our platform. It can't just be three minute sketches. So I'm sitting there writing a treatment for an actual play. And even that, like I had, I had gone to the last bookstore in Los Angeles and bought all the five eBooks for the first time. I was like, researching stuff i i was creating this market research document that was like here's what here's the adventure zone and critical role and here's why they're brilliant and here's what works about them right here's other sort of things in the space and and things that i think could could work better about what they're doing um here's the limitations imposed on us by being a paywall protected platform and here's how we lean into that, right? Okay, we can't stream live because we're a plat we're a paywall platform. So how do we lean into not being able to be live? We get the best set designer in the world, that's Rick Perry. We get beautiful shots by Michael Schaubach and DPs like Santi and everyone else. Like we we dive in Santiago Bati, our, our DP. Like we we lean into that direction. So I'm making that document, and before I'm halfway done with it, I get called into our head of development's office, Adam Frucci, who goes, hey, man, forget whatever you're doing right now. How would you feel about running an actual play show? And I go, oh, my I'm God. Actually. Oh, I'm actually. Yeah, talk about, oh, I'm actually. Yeah, I got it right here. Flip my laptop around. Um, so it was just in the zeitgeist. It was already sort of there. And then, you know, everything came around through, you know, 
with being anthology and getting this cast together and what our first what's our first season going to be you know all this stuff um and it it took off but it was it was yeah that was that was an otherworldly I was like 29 I think when that happens this is like uh, you know th almost like four and a half years ago and it was like I was in a mountain of medical debt all had all my credit cards maxed out I was this like broke improv teacher living in Los Angeles and you know I had I was like I was like oh this is I got to LA and didn't get the college humor job at first and then all in the span of a very short amount of time it was suddenly like oh not only am i a college humor cast member which i was like watch i was watching jake and amir videos when i was like 17 years old in college but now i'm making a DD show the thing i've been doing the, the thing the thing i had the most practice doing of anything sure the, yeah. the thing i like my ten thousand hours have been in there for years now uh and you would be a fool not to just walk through life in a kind of bewildered state of gratitude, which is the only vibe I feel from the moment, from just all day. Just like, I cannot believe uh, uh, the good fortune, the, the bizarre strokes of good luck uh, that needed to happen to make this a reality. Unbelievable. What's been like the most surprising of the last like four years, um, as you've been going through this journey of, I mean, cause now, now dimension 20 has put out, I countless of those, those anthologies, like those, those seasons, right. Um, was it the initial like response from fans and you know, the, the enjoyment of the content you were putting out or, or has something else just been like, Holy shit, I can't believe it, it's all been overwhelming. Like the, the, the process has been so wild in terms of finding, you know, the chemistry of that core cast the incredible hard work of our crew and all the people that work on the show to make it a reality from from producers and designers all the way down through all our technical departments and camera and sound and all the way you know and our, our pas and every, everyone who's worked on that show has always been like a dream to work with and um and then all the amazing guests and people you know luminaries in the communities that have come in for side quests and allowed us to like you know, the McElroys and people that like I had been listening to for years and suddenly they're sitting at your table and you're running a game for them. It's like, it, it, it's unreal. And like you're saying, you know, it's this, for anyone that listens or watches, you know, the, it's, it's, something, that, it's something that there's, there's not always a great platform or like spotlight to be able to communicate. But if there's anyone out there who has like supported the show signed up for dropout even like watched our stuff on youtube like if you if you have engaged with our content in a meaningful way like i and a, a huge amount of the people that i love most dearly in this world owe you our entire ability to do this for it's like it's hard to communicate the gratitude i feel towards fans of the show because that's obviously the metric that that kept dimension 20 going like you know, College Humor went through a big collapse and it was a very sad, it was a really heartbreaking time. And the only reason that sort of Dimension 20 was able to crawl out of the rubble was is due to the fact that there was this huge amount of fan support for that show. So in a real way, you know, like if I, I wish I had the the 
time in my life to be able to thank each and every person individually because they all do play a part in why we are able to do this. It's, 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 if I think about it too much, I'll freak out. It's too nice. It's the, I know people are not watching the show as a personal favor to me, but it is the, it has improved the quality of my life beyond what I had dreamed would be possible. So I do, I do say thank you. I think that's such an interesting point because um, for so many people in our various jobs, like I, for instance, my, my day job is in marketing um, and which ends up being a lot of like numbers and metrics and, you know, I'm grateful for my job and how it pays the bills, but I, I very rarely have that direct connect to the idea of, oh, somebody purchased X. That was a thing I did a campaign on. My campaign influenced them to purchase the thing. Like I can directly say thank you to this. It all kind of starts to get lost the more steps of separation you have. But in content creation, like the, it, the consumer is so immediate, right? Like there's that awareness when, when you see half a million downloads, a million downloads, whatever it might be every single one of those is a person, right? Like yeah. you're saying, it's a, it's a person who made the choice to spend time with you to invest financially in you. And then when you, when you pay your mortgage or you, you buy an engagement ring or something, you're like, this is happening because I know a million people said, I want to watch this or I want to put money. That is kind of a, it's a bit of a mind fuck in a good way. Yeah, of course. I mean, but you, you, I think you have to move from that place of gratitude, right? Because the work can be really, really hard. You know, like it's long hours. We've made 14 seasons of the show in four years. You know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of late nights. That's a lot of elbow grease. That's a lot of like missed social functions and family functions. But I don't know. I, I had a friend recently who was talking to me, you know, and just and it was something like phrased in a way of like, Forget, and like in terms of metrics of success, right? If you are making art that you believe in and it is connecting with an audience who, who appreciates it and you for truly what it is, you, I could, you could fly to the moon and back on that energy, right? And if, and if that can actually put food on the table, then it's an embarrassment of riches. Then it's, it's like, you know, like, right. oh my God, I expressed myself, it connected with somebody, and I could buy a burrito because of it. If that doesn't floor you with just like the utmost gratitude, I don't know how, I don't know how else you could move through the world. It's, it's, yeah, it's staggering. It's really staggering. That's fantastic. I, I do want to take you back, um, play the little, you know, flashback musical cue. Um, and, and this is a selfish question, but it's my show. So I get to ask those. Uh, I mentioned at the top, you, you, you mentioned to me briefly once on a work call before or something like the one time we spoke, um, you were homeschooled. Uh, and this is always interesting to me because I was homeschooled oh, and cool. it's just a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing for me to talk about with people, particularly people who are in entertainment or audience facing careers. Because I think, I don't think I know that like homeschooling in general has this stigma or this idea or this concept that is oftentimes actually true of like the sheltered unengaged didn't have any friends but all, all this different stuff and um i know that from my own experience to to not be a completely accurate generalization but i'm always curious what other people's experiences were like growing up in in a world of homeschooling like like what were your thoughts about it how did it impact where you got today like it's it's such a fascinating discussion to me and uh and i don't get to meet too many people in the wild who are like oh yeah this is how i was educated and here's how it impacted my whole life well, number one, I've never been cool a day in my life. So at a certain point, you just double down on the strategy. Lean into you're, it. 
you just lean in, lean into the skit. Oh, I'm homeschooled. I, I, I got a bunch of wizard costumes that I, I, I wear a cape a lot. Like, let's just lean in. You know, it's not going to get easier. It's, it's that right. sort of thing of, of like the, um, I don't know why my mind went here of all places. But there was, there's a scene in The Wire where the, a guy's gotten caught for murder and he's going to go away for life. So he just starts confessing to all these murders that he didn't even commit because he realizes that by confessing to them, he will prevent his other friends and his criminal organization from getting caught for those murders. Like, I'm already going away forever. Might as well just say I did them all, you know? Right, yeah. Uh, so that's a truly bizarre analogy. But it's like, hey, I'm already homeschooled and wearing a cape. Let's play D&D. You know, like, it's not, it's not going to get better from here. Let's go to school for philosophy when we're 14. Let's write games for a LARP camp. What, you know, like... What are they going to do? Call you a nerd ten times as loud? They're already screaming nerd at you. Like, let's just let's just keep it moving. Yeah. So, I got pretty ferociously bullied in elementary school, which is a little weird. It's a little bit earlier than a lot of sure, people. Yeah. A, a lot of people catch that that intensity of bullying, right? I feel like most most people most people would uh, probably say middle school is where things start to get really Lord of the Flies. Um, and for some reason I just caught hell in third and fourth grade in elementary school. Um, you know, uh, getting beat up. I got put in a trash can. Uh, you know, it was a bad, it was a bad look at that time. And, you know, I, for, you know, looking, you know, you, you, you don't want to look back and say like, oh, I had it coming, but I can look back and say like, things things these things are not excusable so they don't have excuses but they do have explanations mm, right sure. you know what i mean like recess would start and i'd take a big old red wall book and i would not run to the jungle gym i would go sit under a tree and read my red wall book and that made some kids feel some type of way and they needed to express that um not through the majesty of <laughs> language but uh, through a more uh, a direct means. Um, so I got bullied pretty badly. Um, and it was beginning to affect my, my temperament. You know, my mom talked yeah. about, like, see, sort of seeing the light go out of your eyes a little bit, right? Like, um, you're, you're enough exposure to stuff like that, and you'll start, it'll start to have an effect on you. Um, so I got taken out of school for, for that reason. And I had known other kids that had homeschooled. Like, my brother, my, my, my stepbrother had... Um, homeschooled for a year and then come back to public school and then homeschooled again. There's a lot of homeschool kids in the area. So, you know, homeschooling also means very different things culturally. Like if you are a super religious homeschooler, it's a very different vibe than like you're a, like, very true. like a hippie homeschooler. So we were like upstate New York hippie homeschoolers. It was like a lot of, you know, um, there were, there were a lot of kids in that homeschooler network. So when I started homeschooling, there were, you know, I was seeing like a dozen or more other kids every week, like multiple times a week. There was like a homeschool soccer league and there was a homeschool, like my friend Johnny Dermody's dad taught like a civics class. Uh, you know, uh, my, my uh, uh, stepbrother's mom uh, taught a writing, like a writing workshop. You know, there was like a lot of fun, fun stuff that happened there. Um, and uh, it was really positive. It was a really positive experience. Um, 
that was also during the time in my life. So that, that you know, from like 10 to 14, I was homeschooling. And that's also when I started playing D&D. And it's also when I started going to uh, LARP camp, this, this camp, um, AGT, later called, uh, later another camp called the Wayfinder Experience started. Um, so that was a big moment of like discovering identity there. Um, and it was much better for me. You know, the, um, you know, all kids are different, right? All people are different and people have different educational needs. For myself and my brother, we had enough internal drive that mostly the structures of formal school at that point were impediments. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there were multiple times in, when I was in class with my brother where we would like finish a book and tell the teacher like, hey, we're finished. And the teacher would be like, okay, close the book and keep your hands on your desk and look straight ahead. And you're like, oh, I can't, can I go do another activity? And they're like, don't be a distraction. And you go, ah, well, shit. Um, you know, like you feel like you're in trouble, right? Um, so homeschooling, you know, was this in incredible opportunity to, and again, also a tremendous privilege, right? Like my mom was a writer and worked from home and my pop was a musician, he had gigs. So there could always be like one parent around. And we also like, you know, I don't, homeschooling a 10 year old is very different than homeschooling a six year old. I don't know what life would have been like if we had been homeschooled when we were really, really little, right? That would have been a way bigger, uh, uh, I think, challenge, right? Um, but, but by the time we were doing that, my mom had gotten these core curriculum books that were really awesome. We, I remember the first year of homeschooling, we, we got to do cool educational stuff. My mom was just like, okay, year one, you guys have learned a garbled version of history. You know, I was like 10 years old and I was like, England and Europe are two names for the same place because I've only learned about the American Revolution. Right. It's like, ooh, we got to start. And my mom was also like, how the hell are you not going to start at the beginning? Like, you can't start with America. That's it's gibberish. Like, how do you, what would that even be? So we spent a whole year with like, we had a, we did some math and some Spanish, but mostly it was just history. That's just mm -hmm. a whole year from 10 to 11 studying history from the beginning of time in literally like physics. Like the earliest history is physics. How did the universe start? And then going through, and that was like, it was really cool to not have this day where you're constantly shift a uh, school day where you're constantly shifting gears and to instead have something where it's like, Oh, this whole year we're just in the mindset of the history of the world. Yeah. It's pretty like, it, it's weird. That's actually very similar to what we did growing up that like, Oh, cool. Um, like starting, you know, history of the Usborne's history of the world with book that we worked through. Um, because, and I never had the public school, you know, thing to hold it up against and see what the difference was, but it just intuitively made sense to me especially once we got to, because in Texas, even if you're homeschooled, you have to take uh, two years of Texas history, mm -hmm. um, which is just a lot of massacres. I mean, there's so many and you lose track of them, but like having to like, you know, hit the brakes and then do like this very out of context thing that was hyper-focused without like historical context. Um, yeah, it was a very, I had a very similar experience, at least from the approach there. And so, yeah, I, I appreciated it. it. It's funny that you you mentioned and point out that there are really kind of like two schools very general schools there is the religious homeschool world and then there is the you know for lack of a better term like the more the more hippie homeschool um because i grew up in, in the south obviously in a very religious homeschool setting and now i've got a three-year-old daughter who we we're raising in a very hippie homeschool setting yes yeah, it's good it's interesting hearing you talk about discovering some of those nerdy loves early and being able to embrace and lean into them 
because at least in my context, um, it was very, it was, it's a very strange time in the South, especially in the nineties, because it was very reactive coming out of the satanic panic and like, you know, Hey, you're a young kid and you love it. Like Redwall, one of my, my first fantasy loves, um, cool. You can read Tolkien and you could read Narnia because they're secretly about Jesus, but you can't read anything else because they're about Satan. And so there was this constant like, well, this doesn't make sense because it's all fantasy and magic and they're beheading things and they're setting things on fire and that's okay. But over here, it's not, um, you know, the first year Harry Potter came out, it's great. But the second year, it's the devil. Um, that dissonance as a kid was very, uh, very distracting, I guess, from kind of what you're talking about, kind of discovering parts of yourself early on. Um, so it's encouraging as a parent who's trying to raise a kid more similar to kind of what you're talking about that, you know, there's some, there's some benefits and provide some, some good roads to be who you want to be. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the wild thing, right? Is that like, I know have so many friends like yourself who had to, uh, fight for their self expression against the circumstances of their upbringing. Right. Yeah. And I think we all, for, for, for a million reasons, not just for nerdy reasons, but my God, for things that are, you know, life or death, for the ability to like, I, all of my LGBTQ friends that have, you know, yeah. you're, you're like rebelling against that, Pro, you know, of the, of the list of like totally unearned blessings I've had in my life, I would say the fact that like my self-expression was completely in some ways I'm like one of the most traditionalist people I know. Like I grew up with like, you know, the Carmina Gadelica and like a glossary of fallen angels and weird Celtic hymns and myths, you know, like up on the wall of my home. But in a weird way, I am completely predictably the son of my parents. My mom is a comic book writer and like science fiction author. My dad's a stand-up comedian. It's like, I am, am, uh, always a little bit bashful for, I would say the majority of people I know that are in this hobby industry had to throw some elbows in childhood, had to find yeah. a way to secretly get their hands, you know, like one way or another. And, and even if your parents were not actively, you know, like, like, you know, uh, uh, zealously trying to prevent you from getting that stuff, it's also hard enough if they just don't get it. Totally. Yeah. You know, like even, even that, which is like, you know, less of an obstacle than active opposition, but still like, oh, my parents don't really get it or don't really support it. My mom is the person who suggested I start playing D&D. She put up a notice in our local game store, October Country, I mean, false. Like, um, so that's, that is a, uh, you know, in, in some, sometimes I've joked about my career as being like, I'm kind of opening the family store every day. Like, I'm in this space of like artists and bohemians, but weirdly temperamentally, I'm like the kid who is staying in the hometown and like running the family's, you know, business because of who my parents were. But yeah, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a very, it's bizarre to, or not bizarre, but I guess it is profound uh, how fortunate I am to have had the parents that I had who not only did not get in my way or thwart me from like trying to pursue those interests, but truly were like serving them up on a platter. Uh, very, very grateful. Uh, shout out to mom and dad and pop and my brothers and you know everyone else in the family that was able to make that happen. Well, I think that's great because it connects back to something you were saying at the beginning about how, making sure that you have that attitude of gratitude. 
of, of, you know, not just in this case, what you're getting from, from fans is through dimension 20 or college humor. Um, but having that like modeled and provided for you from early on, uh, and, and what a huge uh, blessing privilege, whatever word you want to use like that was to, to not have to fight your way out of something to get to the things that you loved and enjoy and find yourself. Right. And, and recognizing that and then continuing that gratitude forward. That's a very, that's very congratulations. That's a very healthy approach. And, uh, so cheers and here's to you. I would say, you know, the congratulations that are due here are to you and everyone else who has like, uh, had to like knuckle down and get to this hobby and get to their passions through adversity and obstacles. You know, and I don't feel any congratulations are due to me, although I appreciate the kindness to really I, like attitude of gratitude is the bare minimum. There's, I mean, I know there are people out there like me who, you know, would look at a life where every possible thing was teed up for them and be like, I got here completely by myself. I have a fucking, I grabbed my fucking bootstraps and lifted my ass straight into the sky, baby. Uh, it's the most toxic attitude in the world to have nobody as an island, and uh, how dare you, in fact. I'm here because a lot of people uh, did uh, things that they didn't have to do that directly impacted my ability to have this life, and for that I am infinitely grateful. It's really great. You mentioned Redwall. Um, I, I don't know how active you are on social media, but did you know that there is a bot on Twitter that just tweets out the greatest Twitter account of all time? I know oh. exactly what you are talking about, Redwall Feast Bot. God damn! I retweet it every time. Every time, perfect. It's a perfect Twitter account. Let's let's see what what are they doing right now over on Redwall Feast Bot. Let's see what's going on. Hold on. Let's see here. Will, will it be strawberry fizz? Will it be a chestnut cheddar wheel? I'm betting damsons. I'm betting Ooh, something with damsons, uh, you know, uh, 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 deeper and ever pie. Here we go, Red Wall Feast Bot. Um, okay, what do we got? Okay, pinned. Okay, most recent three hours ago, he stuffed himself with toasted acorn and chestnut scones, slices of plum and almond cake, cucumber sandwiches, a wild garlic pasty, and a large tankard of mulled metal ale. Man. If that's not the good life... I don't really know what it is. That is the good life. Those little furry critters are living it up. Yeah, I loved those Red Wall books. God, they were so good. It, it's it's one of those things that again, like, and it is a whole joy having a kid. Might, we just read The Hobbit to her uh, this past summer, um, which mm-hmm. now means that every night it's like Gandalf, tell me a Gandalf story, and I have to make up stories about how Baby Gandalf, you know, played hide and seek with the goblin. Baby Gandalf, man. You just said, I hope Amazon is not listening because they're going to grab that. So, be coming this this fall, baby Gandalf. Man, young, hot Gandalf, what a pitch. How about it? Timothy Chalamet is Gandalf, right? <laughs> Incredible. Uh, it's, it's a shame Amazon is listening because uh, those ideas were all stolen. They're currently in development already. They're Thank spending you, $2 billion on it. They're going to develop, they're sinking... You, the effects for baby Gandalf will rival anything you've ever seen before. And it'll be beautiful. It'll be worth it. We'll all watch it and then tweet about how disappointed we are, uh, such as fandom these days. I'm curious, um, what, what has been, what has been something that, uh, did you have a moment? I don't know the best way to express it. Did you have a moment where you were like, holy cow, what we're doing at Dimension 20 or at College Humor, this is resonating with people. Like, like where, you know, was it being recognized somewhere? Like somebody sending in fan mail just where you were like, wait a minute, 
this is a thing. This is a real thing. It's it's working. It's it's hitting. You know, I'll let you know when it really hits. When it real when I've really processed it, I will holler at you. No, it's 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 really it's really bizarre. I think I think the best the best example I can kind of give in terms in terms of of so I did something short sighted because because it's there's something really dangerous about like there's really something really psychically dangerous about uh, uh, losing anonymity. Like there's parts of it that are not really good for you and. You know, I, I'm more worried than anything else about that. Like, this may be like a weird New Yorkerism, but you're always antsy and kind of on tender hooks about like not letting things go to your head. Like, don't get a big head. Don't let don't let it go to your head, kid. So I'm like constantly, obsessively on that wavelength, and the, I backed myself into a funny corner, right? Where early on in college humor, like first year of working for college humor. I started getting recognized on the street for the first time. And people would almost universally be like, oh my God, Tide Pod! And they'd be talking about the Tide Pod CEO. They, there goes Tide Pod! Happened, okay. I was out in my like home diner, like my diner where I spent countless nights as a, as a, a youth, as a teen. And I was there with my grandma and my mom. And, you know, I'm trying to explain actual play to my grandmother who lived through World War II. And, you know, I'm like, well, it's a it's a board game of the imagination, Grandma. <laughs> you know, anything can happen. Right. And, and, it's, and it's a show. And I can see this woman who loves her grandchildren more than anything in the world really put on a face of, like, I am probably not going to watch this. Um, and I'm um, like, oh, brother. And a group of teens get up from uh, youths themselves haunting the same diner that I had haunted in the halcyon days uh, of, of yore, come over and they, they go like, hey, I just wanted to say, like, I love Tide Pod. And, you know, in, in front of my, my mom and grandma, and my cousin was also there. And, um, you know, going like, it's, you know, like, oh, yeah, and, and Dimension 20 stuff is so cool. Like, I'm watching Dimension 20. It's like Dimension 20 only been out for, like, Two, two or three months at this point. Oh, we like, wow. weren't even done with season one of Fantasy High. And um, I was like, oh, that's really kind of you. And they walk away. And my cousin's like, so are you famous now? In the way that any self-respecting cousin must. You know, like, oh, so oh, big guy. People came up in the diner and they knew who you were. Uh, and I, I said this thing deflecting both to my cousin and also myself internally to not have to process like loss of anonymity, wh what it means to be recognized in public, what it means to be in like a childhood safe place, but suddenly not, mm, yeah. not be a stranger anymore. And so what I said sort of dismissively is I was like, look, they still came up and called me Tide Pod, right? I was like, I am not famous, okay? When they start calling me Brennan Lee Mulligan, that will be different. But, there were, you know, that's not ever going to happen. And like a year or two ago, some, someone on the, on the street, as I was quickly walking by, pointed right at me and said, oh my God, Brennan Lee Mulligan. And I went, well, shit. <laughs> it's like, cats this out is, of the bag. Cats out of the bag. And I, you know, it was one of those moments where you're like, yeah, and especially like this last June when, we, when COVID numbers were at record lows, I had had a mask on for over a year. Mm, yeah. And I, I hadn't been that. outside. And I didn't know how much more popular the show was getting. And I went back home to New York and I walked from uh, Washington Square Park 
uh, over to the subway. And in, the, in that five blocks, I got stopped three times. And I went, oh, no. So, oh, no, something different has happened. By the way, if anyone has ever stopped me, don't, I'm not, don't ever feel that. It's always so not Everyone who's ever stopped me on the street has been the sweetest and nicest person in the world. And it's always, and it is very cool. Like, there's a part of it that's undeniably cool. Totally it's, sure. it's always lovely to hear from, from someone who's been impacted by your work. But the oh, so the oh, no is not directed at being stopped on the street. The oh, no is directed at the, the continuing battle to try to, have an understanding of who and what you are as a person that's what the oh no is for is like how you relate to yourself but yeah that's so so yes it's been it's been really crazy and it's really hard to describe there are just big pluses and minuses to it again like mostly pluses mostly it's it's sure, great yeah. uh, uh mostly it's a great thing um and again the, like especially our fan base i feel like our shows kind of like the heart of our show our like philosophical core is is clear enough that when i meet people that like the show i'm almost always meeting someone who i'm like oh what a cool person right like the cast and the crew and all of the storytellers we've had on the show are such sweethearts and good people that it, it feels like when we meet when i meet a fan in the wild it's like you know dollars to donuts that they're going to be a solid human being which feels really great um yeah. But yeah, then you. Do, but it's always a little bit Twilight Zoney to be in your like you know to be in a coffee shop somewhere and you're sitting there and someone comes up and they're like, by the way, I really loved Escape from the Blood Keep, and you're like, I'm pretty sure I like grabbed a thing out of the corner of my nose. I'm pretty sure I maybe just grabbed a little boogie out of the corner of my nose, and that person saw it, and now they're gonna go on Twitter and they're gonna tell everyone that I pulled a little bug out of the corner of my nose. And that's it. That's all. Yeah. That's all she wrote for me. You know, uh, pack it up. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, it's you know, it's so so. Yeah, that that's the that's the weirdness of it all. But it's yeah, you're right. To ask what it's like, it's really surreal. It's surreal in a way that it's really hard to communicate. Before we wrap up, I, I would be remiss if I did not ask uh, a burning question: Is being on Game Changer and um actually as much fun as it looks, or is it all a deep lie and facade or is it the perpetual joy that it appears to be it's very very fun it's very 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 fun um uh, i i love being on those shows it's a joy sam and trap do such a good job of putting those shows together um i feel like i backed myself into a corner with this like hyper competitive persona on those shows um which is partially based in truth but maybe not a whole hundred percent true but i do love it it's very um I just love those people. It's just nice. Anytime I go up to the shows, it's always nice to be doing, like my favorite part of them actually is doing bits on the couch with everybody. My favorite part of uh, Game Changer, likewise, is like figuring out the fun of the game. Um, the points always stress me out. I know that I seem to love points, but there's a reason that my show, the one that I run, doesn't have points and there's no winners. I like, I like cooperation more than I like competition. But it is very joyful to be on Game Changer and on a match. It, it's one of those things, like especially, um, and this is just pure fan Andrew at this point, but uh, a very recent episode of Game Changer last couple of weeks was just a love letter to, um, and of course now I feel terrible because I don't remember her name. Jess uh, Ross. One of, yes, yeah, yes. Where, where it was just everything was just a pouring of, of love onto her from friends and family. And I thought, what a cool 
thing to be able to do, especially I assume because you're not beholden to a network or, you know, someone who's saying like, Hey, you got eight episodes. I got to do this. Um, just being able to say, Hey, let's take the creative energy we have and express love for somebody who deserves it. And, and just what a fantastic thing. And, and I would assume what a gratifying thing to be a part of or be at a place that allows or enables that I would assume. First of all, Jess Ross is one of the most incredible human beings in the world and absolutely deserves every piece of love that she uh, can receive. Yeah, it's very special. And I think, too, it's sort of fun. You know, that's always one of the things with Dropout, too, and college humor is like sort of the depth of lore. The fact that, like, it's not a secret who we are, right? Like, like who, who we are as people and the relationships we have to each other are embellished and embossed for the purposes of the camera but like it there is something very special there to be able to to connect to these people and have and share a little bit of their their personality within the like the lore of the college humor universe um and it's very special that sam gets to do that now we could dig into the fact that you know in the history of game changer there have been two episodes that kind of did a deep dive on one of the contestants and Jess Ross got a bunch of love letters from her family. And the other one was me getting tortured with a game I couldn't win. And why maybe that is the choice that Sam made. Maybe Sam, you want to give me a call and tell me why, why I got that one. Why couldn't I get a nice letter, you know, but maybe, maybe that was your love letter. Maybe, maybe your perspective is what's wrong. Maybe you're the problem. Let's just, let's just gaslight you a little bit. Maybe it's your fault. You know what? Andrew, good point. I think I am the problem. Now that you mention it, I think I'm pretty much the problem. That's a good point. Um, that no, I, I love everything that y'all are doing over there. It's such. It is one of the few. It might be the only non Netflix thing that I pay for. Right. I'm like that is that's content that is joyful and, and worth consuming. And I encourage anyone listening uh, to go do so as well. They run sales with ridiculous title discount codes. So go check it out. Um, but just you know, to be one of the people to say to you, hey, what you guys do matter and it's joyful and uh, inspires people. And so we are glad to help pay for your burrito um, because it's absolutely worth it. Man, that's kind of you to say. It's very special. You know, we're, uh, we're releasing right now, the, the latest season of Dimension 20 that we're doing is called A Starstruck Odyssey. And it's an adaptation of my mom's sci-fi space opera graphic novel series. So to work, to work at a company like Dropout where I can go to the company and say, hey, for our actual play show, I'd like to do an 18-episode season set in my mother's comic book universe. Can we license it from her and make that happen? And the response is a unanimous, resounding hell yes. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, it's really incredible. And, and everything in my life came together. Like my mom put D&D into my hands and the world she created, like her magnum opus, this incredible, unique, brilliant uh, science fiction galaxy world building. And to take that and bring it to Dropout and then have all of my friends and loved ones that I work on the show with and create, to, to me, I think arguably the best season of the show we've ever done uh, has been really significant. It's so, so meaningful. Um, yeah, so it's there's a lot of awesome stuff coming uh, up at Dropout, and yeah, there it is very magical to be able to have that touch of the personal and the meaningful within the stuff that we do. That's awesome, dude. Um, well, we'll wrap up here in a minute, uh, but I want to remind people, for those of you who are listening for the first time, maybe you've listened a hundred times, which would be interesting because we only have like eighty episodes. But you know, tip of the hat to you, time traveler. 
Um, if you have listened, you know that you can support the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion and doing so gets you access to a very fun little thing. I like to call the zone of truth. Um, why? Because that's what I called it the first time I did it and I'm stuck with it. Branding. But the zone of truth is a beautiful little bonus segment that I do with my guests after each and every episode where we talk about a subject that we make up on the fly. I like to pitch to people like this. If you were at a party and maybe you'd been drinking a little bit or partaking of some sort of substance that relaxes you somewhat, whatever that might be for you. And you had the opportunity. Somebody sat down with you and was like, man, I just want to hear what you were really excited about and into. And you had that subject that you could just riff on for forever because you're like, look, Battlestar Galactica, let me tell you, right? Like it's that, that Dwight Schrute-esque level of love. I like to ask people, what would that thing be? And, and I like to point out that we have had I mean, we've had everything from people who like to work on muscle cars, who like to train dogs to fetch tennis balls in a competitive manner. Margaret Weiss, author of Dragonlance, is a dog trainer. Don't know if you know this. I found out about it on this segment. Um, so that's the kind of stuff we like to talk about. So I'm curious, Brennan, what is your fun, obsessive hobby or love that you'd like to spend 10, 15 minutes uh, educating me on? Yo estudio español cada día y... Es mi asignatura favorita. Um, creo que es más importante cosa en el mundo para hablar dos idiomas o más. Uh, that's probably a butchered, <laughs> a butchered sense. I apologize for my terrible Spanish. But uh, I've been studying Spanish during the pandemic. I used to be fluent-ish when I was itty bitty. I grew up when I was until I was four years old in Washington Heights, um, and I could speak Spanish and English kind of similarly well. Uh, but I've been studying it a lot, a lot, um, and uh, I am obsessed. I, I, I really, I'm at a place now where like everything I just said, I never speak with anybody in Spanish. That's just from studying vocabulary and grammar. Yeah. And uh, you know, I. I, I need to be able to speak with people more to actually get to a point of fluency. But um, I, I love it. It's like a real joy. I think that, number one, if you live in America, you, there's almost a, it is really important to be able to speak Spanish. It's such a widely spoken language here. Um, and it is so, it's, it's like, you know, there's a million situations where stuff can come up. I remember, you know, like, you know, whether you're, yeah, it's just really, I, I think it's really worthwhile. It's really beneficial to be able to speak another language. And it also makes you appreciate your first language more to speak a second language. And it also, like, it gives you an appreciation for if you've ever spoken to someone who is ESL, who speaks English as a second language, it makes you appreciate all these things. Like, the fact that most of the time that someone is speaking English as a second language and there's something that they're not getting correct in their grammar, it's not just, it's, 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 I often found like, oh, that's because you're actually using the correct grammar from your first language. Sure, yeah. And it's, it really, it's like, it's so fascinating and it tells you so much about people and humanity and you, you, you learn to think in new ways about other things that that language is maybe better at, like the second language is like, has ways of expressing that your language doesn't have. Uh, and then it makes you appreciate the weird little idiosyncrasies and foibles of your own first language. And you go like, hey, why do we do it that way? The way this other language does, it seems to work a lot better. I love that. And I'm, and I'm very curious about what your approach to uh, to learning, especially during the pandemic, has been. And and so, again, if you support the show, patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, we're about to dive into that whole 
topic. So if you're a Patreon listener, just keep listening. It'll come up in a second. If you're not, consider it. It could be kind of fun. But I want to say uh, thank you to Brennan for being on the show. We'll record that bit in just a moment. But where can people find you if you want to be found? If you don't want to be found, where can people go to look where you're not? Uh, <laughs> on the internet, as it were. If you want to find me, you should go to dropout.tv, where you can watch all of Dimension 20. Um, you can also, if you want to check out our shows and see if it's to your taste, you can go to youtube.com slash Dimension 20 show. we got a bunch of free seasons up there. And uh, you can also... Uh, find me personally at Brennan LM on Twitter and then at Brennan Lee Mulligan on Instagram. Those are the places that you can find. Um, if you do not want to find me, then I would say go deep into the forests behind your home. Wander there for three days and three nights. On the dawning of the fourth day, a white hind will appear to you and lead you to a cool glade with a spring of fresh water. There, you will not find me. I got kicked out of that glade and I'm not allowed back. They have very strict security there. It's very unfortunate. They keep it locked down in that glade, for sure. But it's good. I mean, you got to have standards. So <laughs> You do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. It's been such a pleasure. I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about Spanish here in a moment uh, for many reasons, which I'm excited to dive into. Um, but first and foremost, thank you to you, the listeners, for listening to the show. You can find and follow me, RollPersuasion.com, at RollPersuasion on Twitter and Instagram and MySpace, I guess. I don't know. Uh, go check them out. Maybe you'll find me there. I don't know. But thank you for listening to the show. Please be sure to leave a rating if you are on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I very much appreciate it. And until next time, y'all, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.